two or three years ago, I was test driving a car, which I eventually bought. And as I was driving it along, a green word flashed up on the dashboard, shift. Now, shift to me means get a move on. I thought, surely it doesn't want me to accelerate. Or it means change your position. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that. That would be awkward. But I said to the salesman, I said, what does that mean? He said, you've got to move up a gear. Your engine wants to move up a gear. I said, well, fine. We went on further and got outside um, the 30 limit, and I, I got up to fifth gear. I thought, this is great. Getting the feel of this car, and it was lovely. Really enjoying it. And then again, shift. I'm already in top gear. What, what's this all about? He said, you've got six gears in this car. Six gears. I've only driven with five at most. I do believe that God is encouraging all of us to move up a gear. So much of what we're doing is good. I really believe that. But in dimensions of the supernatural, there are gears we've not even thought about, let alone reached or used. I really believe that. And hence the focus of my message this morning, nothing is impossible with God. Notice it doesn't say nothing is impossible for God. That would set him apart. He can do all kinds of stuff because he's God. But nothing is impossible with God. Who's involved in that? God and his people. Yeah? Nothing is impossible with God. I'm going to read you some scriptures. They'll come up on the screen. Thank you, Chris. Um, I'm just going to rattle through them without comment. Genesis 17, verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Genesis 18, 14. The Lord said to Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Numbers 20, verse 11. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Joshua 6, verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. John 11, from verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I, know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come out. Is that loud enough? The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We're dealing here, folks, with impossibilities. 90-year-old women do not have babies. Water does not come gushing out of a rock. Solid city walls do not fall down in response to a shout. And men who have been dead for four days do not walk out of a tomb. In the gospel narratives, of course, we see God's kingdom in the person of Jesus confronting and overcoming the powers of darkness. There are miracles, there are healings, there's authority demonstrated over wind and waves. He's dismissing evil spirits and so on. And then you move into the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus has now departed. So it's the newly born Christian church directed by the Holy Spirit doing the impossible. A young fellow falls from a third-story window, hits the ground, dead. Down comes a Christian leader, lays hands on him. He comes back to life. Another Christian leader is walking along the road, and his shadow falls on some people who are ill. And as the shadow passes over them, they are healed. That is impossible. Luke 1, verse 37, Mary was told by an angel that she would give birth to the Son of God. And she queried how that could happen while she was still a virgin. And in response to the question, the, the angel reassured her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her because nothing is impossible with God. And the God who is revealed through the pages of Scripture is the God of the impossible. And if you think logically beyond that, the clear extension of the truth is this. Impossibilities are within the range of Christian believers who are following Jesus and filled with His Spirit. I hope you believe that. Otherwise, I wonder why you're here this morning. I'm glad you are here. And I hope we can convince you if you're not already convinced. It's one thing to believe that. It's another to know it from experience. And when you know it from experience, you get excited. Because you've seen what God is like, this God of the impossible. And you want more. Um, I'm glad to see Alphonse is here because a couple of weeks ago I had a conversation with him. It was after the top 10 course. And um, we were agreed that, generally speaking, this congregation is really rather quiet. Aren't you? Thank you. You have been responding earlier in the meeting. You know, now is not the time to sit back and relax. Now is the time to sit, as it were, on the edge of your seat in anticipation that God is going to do stuff. Okay? And that means a vocal response. 
And I, I gave Alphonse permission. I said, if at any point when I'm speaking, you want to shout out in a loud voice, hallelujah, feel free to do so. And I give you all permission to do that. <laughs> <I'm done. laughs> it's a serious point. Kerry has mentioned this on previous visits um, two or three times, I seem to recall. He said, you're too quiet as a congregation. There needs to be a response to what God is doing, what God is saying. A vocal response, and that opens the way for God to speak again. It's like a two-way conversation. In fact, he said it's honoring God when we respond to his word or his input into our gathering. And it's, it's as if we're sending a clear signal to the heavenly realms. We're ready. We're on the alert. We hear you. We're ready for the Holy Spirit to move in whatever way he chooses. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That was your practice. We're talking about cooperating with the God of the impossible. And therefore, we're talking about uh, moving with the gifts of the Spirit. You can read about the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to do it now. It would take too long. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, you'll find a whole list, a whole range of, st of stuff in there. God's gifts to his church are so multifaceted. There is something for everybody. Nobody need feel left out. And, and don't worry too much about pigeonholing what God is doing. Or, or labeling. He's, he's not sitting there with a checklist saying, oh yes, that was, a, that was a word of knowledge and this was a word of wisdom. and that was." A... No. No, God's concern is to inspire and stir us, his body, his church, so that we become natural in the supernatural. Because God will want to use us in that dimension out there. We need to get it right in here first, to be used to God moving in the supernatural, bringing words of knowledge, etc. Because outside there will be occasions when we're talking to people. And a conversation can become a breakthrough if we're listening, tuned in to the Holy Spirit. And he gives us a word relevant to that person in that situation. So it's important that we get it right in here first. And then we're ready for afterwards. An important trigger for spiritual gifts is the gift of tongues. We need to make more of the gift of tongues. We really do. We manage a few seconds, and then we feel a bit embarrassed, so we clam up. Or we sing in tongues, sometimes, for about half a minute. I remember dear old Steve Smith. He used to say that before he would uh, begin to pray in, in his private time with God, before he prayed, before he opened the Word of God, he would speak in tongues for five minutes. Five minutes is a long time. I remember a, a gathering we had in Holkin many moons ago. Steve Ottolini stood up and said, we're going to speak in tongues for ten minutes before anything else. And some of us found that very hard. 
we were new into these things. I was, anyway. Um, so tongues, let's uh, not underestimate the power of tongues. You read the Acts of the Apostles, and it says, when the Spirit came upon individuals or groups, almost invariably, the record says, and they spoke in tongues. It's an indicator that God's Spirit is alive and well in the believer. And it establishes a platform of interaction between ourselves and God. And God knows that he can move amongst us. He can start to achieve his purposes. Amen? Good. Um, I'm at the stage in my life where uh, it is not unknown for me to wake up at uh, perhaps half past three in the morning with a call of nature. And I found that <laughs> God uses those moments sometimes to speak to me. And uh, it's quite funny how it happens sometimes. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I woke at uh, about quarter to four, and I had a phrase in my head. And the phrase was, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. And I thought, I don't know where that comes from. I better write it down, because if I go back to sleep, I'll forget about it when I wake up. So I wrote it down, looked it up later, and it's, it's the last verse of a hymn by probably the greatest hymn writer of the lot, Charles Wesley, and it says, faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. And I love that, laughing at impossibilities. Because we're so sure of who God is and what his heart is and what his intentions are. You see, in a world with so much pain and darkness, as Jeff has reminded us this morning, God is constantly wanting to bring light and peace and healing into people's lives. And yes, he is all-powerful. We thought about this a few weeks back. He's sovereign. He could, if he chose, just click his finger, as it were, and things would change. But he has chosen to link himself with you and me so that we can do the stuff. Nothing is impossible with God and with us together. Amen? And he's constantly looking for people who will stand on his promises to slay the giant, who will be bold in their praying, who will speak to the mountain and see the mountain move. That's our God. Can I suggest quickly three qualities that I believe will be essential for us as a church if we're going to move to a new gear in the dimensions of the Spirit. Uh, number one is humility. Because any attempt to take even a sliver of glory for ourselves when God uses us will short-circuit the power of God. We must not do it. It is to Him always all the glory. I don't know how many of you heard Sue Oliver's thought for the day recently. Hands up. Oh, the rest of you, you need, you need to go back and look at it, listen to it. Um, God used her wonderfully hundreds of miles away from home, down in Dorset, bringing her into contact quite miraculously with a guy who used to live in the same road that they live in, in, in Southport. 
Um, if you listen to Sue, you'll detect there is no ego in the account at all, because Sue doesn't do self-promotion. She's on the lookout always to bring the love and the life of Jesus. And credit to David and Sue that in their cul-de-sac, they've made a point of getting around all their neighbors, making themselves known. And here was one guy who was getting the benefit. He was down in Dorset, and he had a particular need. And who was the person he thought of? Sue Oliver. And he thought she was in Southport. But she wasn't. She was on the doorstep down there in Dorset. It's impossible, isn't it? Humanly speaking. But God was there. God was doing it. And God used Sue in that, in that instance. Well done, Sue. But don't take any of the glory. I'm mentioning it now because I know you won't. I'm quite happy to mention it to all these people because I know you don't do self-promotion. Humility is important. Unity is the next one. Psalm 133 talks about God adding his blessing when men, and let's include the ladies as well, brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Unity of heart, unity of mind, unity of purpose. That's how the early church thrived and did so well. They were looking to each other's needs before their own. And God honored that. Humility, unity, and the third is purity. Jesus said that the evidence of the Spirit will be like rivers of living water issuing from within the believer. He wasn't talking about stagnant ponds, and he wasn't talking about rivers polluted with, pollution, with um, all the kind of stuff that there is around today. He was talking about a pure flow. The key is in the, the word that we associate with the Spirit, holy. Holy Spirit needs holy vessels through which to work. So humility, unity, and purity. I guess there are a lot of Christians around who don't really give supernatural activity a second thought, to be honest, except maybe at Halloween. But what should distinguish the Christian church is that we have regular testimony that someone has experienced the powerful presence of the God of the impossible. So why not today? Why not in this meeting? I'm giving you a heads up here. Um, very often before I'm going to speak on a Sunday, I in my prayer time beforehand during the week, I ask God if there are words of knowledge he wants to give me so that people can be blessed as a result. And this week, I've had nothing. And when I said to God, why? He said, because it's going to come from the congregation. The words of knowledge will come from the body. I'm glad you're encouraged, Glenn. Say it louder. Yes, amen. Me too. Praise God. So in a few minutes' time, you will have been listening, and God will have been putting things. I'll explain the, uh, the detail of that a bit later on, if you're not familiar with words of knowledge. It's really exciting when 
God uses somebody, a, a complete stranger, to bring a word into your life. I, I find that just fabulous. Um, I still recall very vividly an occasion, it's over 20 years ago, we used to have a radio station in this town called June FM. And I presented a program on a Sunday morning of Christ Christian music and other stuff. And I was able to go representing June FM at a worship conference in the Floral Hall here in Southwark. A big, big event, people from America and all over the place. And I was going to get some interviews and do some stuff. And I was sitting at the back of a gathering after a seminar I'd listened to, perhaps 200, 250 people. And I was wearing my lovely bright yellow UNFM t-shirt. You remember those, don't you? Um, and this man, <laughs> if I tell you his name, you'll probably laugh. Wayne Drain was his name. Whatever possessed Mr. and Mrs. Drain to call their son Wayne? That just doesn't add up, is it? Crazy. Anyway, he started pointing to people and saying, this is God's word for you, for you. Then he pointed at me, and he said, the guy in the yellow shirt at the back there, I said, so what's your name? David. David, he said, I see you writing. This is your time. God is calling you to write some significant stuff. And, and it went on for a while. Tears coming down my face. How could God know? I mean, how could he know that God knew? How could this man, he didn't know. I've never met this man. But he was speaking directly into my life. He didn't know. Two weeks before that, I'd signed up for a creative writing course. And I'd already started work on the first book that I wrote. Eventually, I published. But this was God saying, oh, yes, yes, to a complete stranger. And it was just so wonderful. And if ever I have momentary doubts in later years about stuff that I'm working on, write, a writing project, and I very vividly recall Wayne Drain and the word that he brought, God bless him. I love it when God uses complete strangers in that way, but more often than not for us, here certainly, he will use people who do know us. Just a few weeks after my grand passed away, uh, my phone rang, and it was Arma Skagen from Norway, our evangelist friend, lovely man. David, I was just praying for you, he said, and I just wanted to bring this word. It was a lovely word of encouragement. <laughs> Keep going. Through the tough times, and how God was going to use me. Thank you. Thank you. It was also uh, Arna Skagen who, some years ago, when he was with us, showed us the God of the impossible at work. He was over in the other mm -hmm. building, and he sensed from God there was somebody in the gathering who had one leg shorter than the other. And it was David Carr. Is David here? Not today. I saw him yesterday in Cardiff, yes. Um, so Arna got David out to sit on a chair and put his feet on another chair. 
And bless Arne, instead of doing everything himself, he got three young lasses to come and do the praying and laying on the hands. It could have been Edgefield students. I don't know who it was, I forget. And they came, and a simple prayer, they laid hands on them. I, I was in deadline with David's legs. And it was like that. And the two came together. Two legs perfectly aligned. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Same God is with us today. Here. Right now. Ready to do stuff. Let me quote Bill Johnson, who has far more experience than me in these wonderful things. He wrote this, The spirit of the resurrected Christ lives in every believer. Resurrection power from another world, which is far beyond reason, defines our nature as followers of Jesus. Invading the impossible is our birthright. That's a statement, isn't it? Invading the impossible is our birthright. It gives him the chance to manifest his heart for people going beyond what can be done in the natural. 2,000 years ago, a carpenter's son was killed by crucifixion in Jerusalem. Three days later, the impossible happened. He was alive. And within a few weeks, when that resurrected man ascended to the heavenly realms, God came among men and women without the limitations of a single human body. But now the Holy Spirit was able to impact any number of people in a moment of time. And he is still doing that today. 38 years ago, 12 of us embarked on an adventure of faith with this same Holy Spirit to embody a fresh expression of God's kingdom, to see, among other things, the impossible becoming possible. And the vision remains. The expectation remains. The sense of excitement remains. I am just so grateful for all that God has already done in our lives and through us and through other people as well. Brilliant. Wonderful. But I want more. I'm desperate for more. I do not have the right to limit God to what I have already experienced and say that was good enough. No. There's more. All is more. Nor do I have the right to limit God to my understanding of his word. Because my understanding of his word is limited. And he goes beyond that, and I'm delighted that he does. I do believe that God is bigger than my mind and my understanding and my experience, and he wants me to use gears that I didn't even know existed. I believe he wants to push the fledgling eagle out of the nest. That's all of us. So that we can learn to soar on the thermals of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer is this, Father, let the narrative of this church be not just about warmth of fellowship, about care for individuals, about stirring preaching and great times of worship. Yes, thank you, Father. They are so important. We thank you for them. But Lord, we have to show this world 
that we serve the God of the impossible. Lord, we have to use all the gifts that you've made available to us to get the job done. And we pray, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done amongst us, including the apparently impossible, the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Amen. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities and says, it shall be done. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Now, I said I'd explain a little bit about words of knowledge because I do believe God has things to do and words to say in this gathering. It, you may get a name, a person's name, and uh, it may be somebody who's in here, it may be somebody outside, but somebody here knows a person outside of that name. And um, God wants to do something in that person's life. And you can pray, believe God for that. It may be um, a sensation, a feeling, perhaps a pain suddenly comes. If you've got a pain in your shoulder, you think, well, I've not been boxing or playing tennis. I don't know what my pain. Maybe it's somebody in the gathering. And you come to the front and say, if, if there's somebody here who's got a shoulder problem, you can pray for that person and believe God for healing. It may just be a word, a single word. I was recalling with Jeff and Pam on the way back from Cardiff yesterday, a man called Harry Greenwood, who Jeff used to invite to gatherings that we had in the town before the church ever even being. And uh, Harry Greenwood had some remarkable testimonies of the power of God. On one occasion, he was driving along a road in America, and God told him to pull off uh, at a wayside cafe because there was somebody he wanted Harry to meet. And he parked his car and went inside. Got in conversation with a man. And suddenly he saw the word adultery across the man's forehead. Can you imagine that? And he very gently broached the matter. You know, have you, are you having an extramarital relationship? The man just broke down in tears opened his heart for Harry and God moved in his life. Maybe a picture. Please, if you get a picture, ask God what it means. Don't leave the rest of us to try and work it out. <laughs> We've had some of those, haven't we? <laughs> so, please, I'm just going to pray in a moment. And can I just say, uh, if anybody's anxious about this, please do not worry what other people will think. We're all on the same side. We're all with you. We're all just looking for God's best to happen in any gathering with his people. And therefore, please don't be afraid of getting it wrong. When I say getting it wrong, if you come out and say, I believe this, right? has somebody here got, shall we say, a bad shoulder? And nobody responds. That does not mean you're a failure. It means that on this occasion, the person wasn't here. But there might well be another occasion when there is a person. You had, Jeff, you had something like that, didn't you? Did you pray for somebody with a broken ankle or a bad ankle and 
Go on, yeah. <laughs> Just came to my mind. You know, I'll tell it. All right. I'd never moved. Is that my I've got a large enough voice. Um, I was just wanting to move in those kind of things. Um, and so I, 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 large gathering and that, I said, there's somebody here with a bad ankle, foot, and um, no response. I said, I'm over in this side of the audience. No response. Near the front, no response. And I pointed to a man and said, "It's you." <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a year later, in the same kind of gathering, in the same location, we were in a meeting, and uh, there was a call for prayer. And this man stood up before the prayer even began and said, "I'd like Jeff to pray for me. I've got a really bad ankle." <laughs> I was just before my time. Huh? There you go. Um, I think it was Bill Johnson who said, God rewards, doesn't reward success, he rewards faith. So if there isn't a response, that doesn't mean that next time you get a word, you shouldn't bring it. Just because you, you know, there's no response the first time. Bring it anyway. It's not dependent on what happened last time. It's dependent on your faith. In this moment, this is what I believe God is saying. And the other thing not to be afraid of is this microphone. All right, Jeff is nearby and he will help you with it if necessary. Father, I just, I just open this up to you, Holy Spirit, that you would demonstrate your presence here in ways that we can recognize as people bring words of knowledge. We want people to be blessed. We want situations to change. We want healings to occur. We want your name to be glorified. And we're just ready and available, Lord, for you to do whatever you choose. Thank you in Jesus' name.